just want to thank Pastor Elisha also for uh, sharing the sermon last week. Our little guy's back. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on sabbatical for a while, so it's good to have him back. But uh, the challenge he gave to us to come and see Jesus in new ways as he preached last week. So thank you very much for that. So let me ask you this. So how's your 40 days of focus going? If you don't remember, that's Lent, okay? It's another term for it. We're trying to focus in on Jesus Christ, to honor Him, to lift Him high during this time, and working hard at it. So what, what we had to do to be able to do this, there are things that we need to let go of so that we can make more space for Christ in our life. Ultimately, that's what this time is about. Every day would work about that too, of course, right? But what do I need to let go of to be able to make more space for Christ to be a part of my life? Now, you probably have some things you're working on. Uh, I'm going to share with you kind of what I'm working on, but I want to encourage you to do that. Let go of some things and put more time, more space for Christ in your life. So, uh, as you know, I, I'm working just to learn how to pray before I eat my meals. Now, if you haven't been here for a while, you might say, I can't believe a pastor would do that. Well, he does. I'm just telling you. He cannot remember. If he sits down and eats with you, he can remember that. But he has a hard time. So this morning, I did pray in my prayer time for all my meals today again. I'm just trying to take care of it, okay? Just whatever it takes to remember, right? Okay. So, but, but here's what I'm working on. Letting go of something so I can make more space for Christ. When I get up in the morning, my phone goes off, my alarm goes off, and I get up and get ready and everything and, and go to my chair to take time to pray. And I have this tendency to take that phone. I know none of you have this tendency. To take that phone and like, okay, well, let's see what the weather's going to be today. Because that's pretty important, right? Okay. Oh, let's see. Uh, uh, okay, what kind of emails can I delete right now so I don't have to worry about that when I get to church and work, right? Oh, and then let's, let's, let's swipe it this way. Oh, there's news feeds. Oh, man, Jordan Spieth got disqualified in the golf tournament yesterday. Well, i got to read about that. Now, again, I know you don't have this problem, but I do. And so one of the things I'm working to let go of is to not do that so they have more space for Christ. Now, here's, here's the way it works for me. If that takes 15 minutes, that means I just lost 15 minutes of my prayer time. And you know who suffers because of that? You. Because that's who I'm praying for. And so I have to make that up. Like I might have to get my prayer list out and pray at the end of the day. I might have to do it on Saturday because I'm, I'm behind. And it's really, really detrimental to you whose last names begin with a W, X, Y, and Z. Because you're at the end of the week, and I have to make up for you, okay? So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to not look at my phone. Now, the, I do have a little temptation because I always set it right there on the arm of the chair. Duh. <laughs> put it in the kitchen, right? Maybe I could set an alarm on it, and I could put it on the kitchen table, and it would go off right before I eat, and then I would remember. <laughs> Amazing how good ideas come to you. I don't know what you need to let go of to make more space for Christ, but let me encourage you to do it. It'll be well worth it for you. And I think that maybe if I could get this habit, I might be able to make day 41, day 42, day 43 without my phone. Who knows, okay? But 
That's what I'm working on. I encourage you to do the same. Let go of something so that you can make more space for Christ in you. Less of self and more of Jesus. More and more each day like thee. Just to live in full surrender for my Lord and that's me. Love that statement. Read it many years ago and just made it a part of my life because that's 40 days of focus. Less of self, more of Jesus. More and more each day like thee. Just to live in full surrender for my Lord and that's me. Keep joining me. Share together with me what God's doing in your life during this time. I'd love to get your texts. Love to get your emails about this is what God's doing and this is what I'm letting go of. This is what I'm working on. It's going to be exciting to see. So we're in Second Peter. You've got your Bible there, your tablet, your phone. Um, now don't get distracted by your phone while I'm preaching. I know that would never happen. You would all of a sudden do on news feeds and what the weather is out right, okay? That never happened. All right, so here's some titles for the first 11 verses of Second Peter. I gave these to you last week. Some, these are what authors have put in their kind of their uh, introduction. Grow forward in grace, characteristics of the Christian life, faith results in Christian growth, challenge to press into the full implications of their inheritance, spiritual growth brings practical results, living an effective life for Christ. Well, with those, we read God's Word. Second Peter chapter 1, you don't have a Bible, you'd be welcome to grab one that's right in front of you, it's kind of near the end. Pretty close there. It's after First Peter and before Third Peter. There isn't a Third Peter if you don't know. All right, okay. But there is a Third John. All right. So here we go. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge of self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, how many of you read it this week? <laughs> Good job! I encourage the rest of you. Join with us. Read the whole book. Doesn't take long. Eight, ten minutes. It'll help you to get a little bit of a feeling of where we're going. Next week we'll be in the uh, verses 12 to 15. We're looking forward to that. So, so I had something a couple weeks ago happen. After I preached two Sundays ago, 
I preached on verses 5 through 8. And I got a text from two people that morning, Monday morning, after I preached on Sunday. I got a text from two people that said they were reading in their Today in the Word devotional. It's from Moody Bible Institute, where I did my undergraduate work at Chicago. And they said this. Guess what today's devotional was on? Yeah, you got it. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 11, 1 through 11. Just what I preached on. And they just wanted me to know, and the, I, I read that every day, but I read it at night with my wife. So I didn't know. They, I, they gave me less, some secret knowledge to be able to know that's what I was going to read. But two people are reading that devotional today in the Word. It's a great little devotional, and it's really, really well done. So thank you for those people that did that. It's just fun to get the, the interaction with you of what you're learning and growing. It means so much to me. It encourages me. It challenges me. It helps me to grow and to get more in the Word part of it. So thank you when you do that. So it's very important. So here's my kind of review to be able to get us going. Because of our identity in Christ, through His divine power and nature, and His precious promises, we recognize that He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Therefore, we need to make every effort to supplement our faith with increasing doses of virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and God's love. That's kind of the first eight verses. Now, I ask you, as I did two weeks ago, I'm sure you remember this. Take a virtue and work on it over the next couple weeks. So you've probably been doing that because you always remember what I say to you, and you always do it, right? Now, I've told you, thank you, Steve. See, I understand. I can't remember tomorrow. I can't remember on Monday what I preach sometimes. It's, there's just so much going on. But, but I want to ask you, help me out. Out of those seven qualities, those seven characteristics that are a part of our life, God has given to us. Now, we just want to add to it, right? What one am I working on to put my phone down and not look at it before I spend my time with Jesus? Yes, you got it. Self-control. That's what I'm working on. Self-control. That's the one I picked. Because that's what I need to do. I need to have self-control to not look at that and spend my time with Jesus. Not that I mean I can't not that I shouldn't look at it. But I'm saying for that moment in time, I need to set that aside. And I need to say, God, you're more important than what's happening in the world. Look, trying to let go of something so I can give more space to God. And I can get done. You know what I found? When I do that, I get my prayer time done. I get I get all the way through, everything I need to get through. And it feels good. I don't have to make up any time. I get it done as I need to. So keep working. Pick one of those virtues. Grab onto it. Let go of something and add this to your life and see what God does there. Warren Rearsby is my pastor in Moody Memorial Church in Chicago when I was there at Moody Bible Institute. He says this. He says, These qualities, those seven qualities, exist within us because we possess the divine nature, but we must cultivate or grow them. They're there. Okay? But we've got to do our part. God's done His part. He's given us His character, His divine nature, His divine power. We do our part now. So that, what? So that it says in verse number 9, it says, But whoever lacks these qualities, is, is, or verse 8, I'm sorry, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to make it in the positive. He says this, if we'll put these qualities in our life, they're ours, to what God has given to us, and we're increasing in them, then 
we will be effective. Let's just take out the ineffective part. We will be effective in our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, that's why you're here today. You, you wouldn't be here if you, if you wanted to be ineffective in your walk with Jesus Christ. You would have stayed home. Because it didn't matter, right? But you're here because you want to be effective in your walk with Jesus Christ. As we put these qualities into our life, that will take place for us. When you talk about being effective, I, I, this is things, thoughts that came to my mind. Doing what believers are meant to do. Helping others become more like Christ. Someone emailed me this week, and they were in the first service, um, and I shared with them that um, I was going to give this illustration, because I got a cup recently while that says, be careful what you say to the pastor, because it might be end up in his sermon. <laughs> I always try to ask, of course, to do that. And so they were here in the first service, and they shared this email with me uh, probably on Wednesday or Thursday, and they just bought a new washing machine, and it's two weeks old, and it's ineffective. You know what that means. It's, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. What's a washing machine supposed to do? Wash your clothes. Well, it's not working. They've already had the repairman out. They have to order parts. The machine is not doing what it's supposed to do. And we as Christians, to be effective, we need to do what we should be doing. What would Jesus do? That does work. WWJD, that does work. Those are the things we need to do. And that's what, to me, that's what it is to be effective, to do what we're called to do, to follow Jesus Christ, to honor Him, to lift Him, and to grow Him, and help others do the same to follow Jesus Christ. I, read, I made this statement last week. The godly person makes godly decisions that honor God because those decisions are in agreement with God, with the Word of God. And there's a lot of gods in there that's trying to kind of make it so it might sink deep. But think about it again. The godly person makes godly decisions that honor God because the decisions they make are in agreement with the Word of God. If we'll do that, we will be effective. We'll be doing what He wants us to do. As Christians, we'll be little Christ making a difference because we look like Jesus Christ. But Peter says also, he says, as we put these virtues and these qualities into our lives, not only will we be effective, but we'll also be fruitful. Right there in verse number 9. Reproducing the life of Christ in others. Helping them to be more like Christ. Who we mentoring and discipling and growing with and serving them so that they serve others. John chapter 15, uh, have a little bit of fun with this, could be called the Fruit Loops verse or chapter. Because it talks all about bearing fruit. You can see those up there. John 15, 5. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do everything. No. Apart from me, you can do he goes on in that chapter. This is the chapter where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. His banner over me is love. You remember that song, youth group song? Some of you remember that? Some didn't want to, some are so embarrassed they didn't want to do it, right? By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear little fruit, much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and that your fruit shall abide. He goes on and there's an ask anything of my name, and I'll do it for you. Be 
finishes out that verse. That's what he's called us to do. To bear fruit. To help others become like Jesus Christ because we are like Jesus Christ. To reproduce Jesus Christ in and through us so that others also become more like Jesus Christ. And Peter says, if these qualities are increasing in your life, self-control, steadfastness, knowledge, virtue, if these things are increasing in your life, you will be effective. You will be doing what you're called to be able to do. You will be fruitful. You will be helping others become more like Jesus Christ. And he says in that, as he finishes that verse out, he says, this will all happen in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll remember, this is the kind of the key thing, my little title, the graphic I have, Second Peter, Growing Grace and Knowledge. And knowledge is not just here, but it is your head, going to your heart, and out to your hand. Applying what you know about the Lord Jesus Christ, doing what he calls you to do, so that you grow in Jesus and others grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the knowledge, five times in this book, he uses that term to help us understand. I don't want you just to know about him. I want you to know about him here and here. And it shows in your life as you practice him. So I'd ask you this question. You see it up there on the screen. So what would you and others say about your effectiveness and your fruitfulness for the Lord Jesus Christ? What does your heart, your own heart, tell you about, am I being effective? Am I being fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ? If you can't ask that, you can't ask that question, you can turn to the person next to you and ask them. They might give you an idea, because they see your life. I'm not trying to make it down, I'm just saying, a little self-introspection, right, helps us to understand, where am I with Jesus? What's God doing in my life? How am I being effective for Him? How am I living out, being Christ in this world, the people around me? How am I reproducing Christ in other people so that they're more like Jesus Christ and they're following Him more closely? Peter says, if you're doing those things, you're working on those things, you're growing in those things, you will be effective. You will be fruitful. Now, um, I know this about growth. Growth sometimes can be hard to see. You know, it's like, am I really growing? That's what I mean. I don't want to be hard on ourselves, but am I really growing? Um, we got some of our students that are in here today and, and have been in here. And, you know, they, they may not see themselves growing, but I notice that they're growing because most of them are bigger than me. <laughs> Somebody said to me as we walked out today, he says, when you were growing, you didn't grow up very much, did you? <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> I didn't. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to see growth, but, you know, if you, you take that kid and you go and you put them on the chart downstairs, you know, you put them on the lines or you mark them out, and they, their line's like, you know, seven inches more than it was last year. God, man, you have really grown. They don't even notice it until it gets pointed out to you. So keep growing. Keep growing. Keep growing in these virtues. I'm going to grow, trying to work on the self-control. I'm going to bring honor to God to set aside something so we can make more space for Him. That's kind of the positive. I put it in the positive. The, the negatives, Peter goes on and he says this, For whoever, in verse 9, lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, 
having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. This is kind of what the eye chart looks to me when I take off my glasses. Might look like that to you too. I'm nearsighted. I don't see very far without my glasses. Some of you might be farsighted. Some of you might have some cataracts going. Some of you might have some macular degeneration going. I got all those going, except for the farsighted part. Okay? But that's what they, they take off your glasses and say, can you see anything on that chart? Well, I think there might be an E up there. <laughs> some of you know that. Peter's saying, listen, if these things aren't a part of your life and growing, then you're, you're nearsighted, even to the point of being blind. You're not seeing clearly spiritually. He's put everything in you to life and godliness, but you're not seeing things because you're, you're, you're not working in these areas so that this happens in your life. We want to see clearly, right? We want to see God clearly and see what He has for us. And we'll do that as we put these qualities, we seek Him, we seek to grow in Him. We want to move forward in 2020 forward. We want to move forward in that. We want to 2020 more this year. We want to grow with Him and bring honor to Him. So keep putting these seven virtues in your life. Put them out there. Ask somebody to, how am I doing in this area? Steadfast. I mean, some of you need to work on that. Man, I, I need to be steadfast. I need to be faithful to God this week. And I need, to, I need to show brotherly love to the people that are around me. I need to show God's love. He says now, he says that if you're so nearsighted that you're blind, he says, you are so blind and nearsighted that you've forgotten that he was cleansed from your own sins. Listen to this. It's amazing what we can't see when we can't see. It's amazing what we won't see when we don't want to see. And he says here, because you don't see clearly, God's done for you and who you are in Christ, you have, your memory has been affected. It's amazing how much our sight can influence our memory. He's saying, you don't see clearly. And that has affected your memory of the fact that you've been forgotten for you've been forgiven for your sins. You've forgotten your, as somebody said in our Thursday morning Bible study, men's study that we gather together, he said, you've forgotten your identity. You've forgotten that you're a new man in Christ. You've forgotten that you're a new woman in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're so, we're so nearsighted spiritually that, that we've forgotten about the Lord's gracious cleansing and His faithful forgiveness to us. Oh, I hope that's not where you're at today. But you're seeing clearly seeing how God's been involved in your life, how, how God has made you, brought you into His family. And you should remember that. As you see that, you remember, wow, the reason I'm at this point is because He's forgiven me of my sins. How important that is. There's a really good devotional, Our Daily Bread. Uh, we have some out there. They're for the next month, but they're out there. Just, just some good things in here. And Tuesday, Tuesday was a significant, significant one. I know you can't see it very well from there, but the title of it was Jesus' Blood. It's talking about His forgiveness. Let me just read it to you. It's just so well written. He said, the author says, The color red 
doesn't always naturally occur in the things we make. How do you put the vibrant color of a red apple into a t-shirt or lipstick? In early times, the red pigment was made from clay or red rocks. In the 1400s, the Aztecs invited a way of using cochineal insects to make red dye. Today, those same tiny insects supply the world with red. Did y'all know that? Yeah, most of you didn't. I didn't either. I do now, but didn't then, right? Listen, this is so good. Now he ties it into the Word of God. In the Bible, red donates royalty. It also signifies sin and shame. And third, further, it's the color of blood. When soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him, Matthew 27, 28, these three symbolism merged into one heartbreaking image of red. Jesus was ridiculed as would-be royalty. He was cloaked in shame, and he was robed in the color of the blood that he had seen shed. That's good. But Isaiah's words foretell the promise of this crimson Jesus to deliver us from the red that stains us. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I'm trying to memorize that verse. It's right there, memorizing these verses. One other thing about those cochineal insects used for red dye. They are actually milky white on the outside. Only when they are crushed do they release their red blood. That little fact echoes for us other words from Isaiah. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53.5 Jesus, who knew no sin, is here to save us who are red with sin. You see, in his crushing death, Jesus endured a whole lot of red so you could be as white as snow. Don't let us forget that, Lord. Don't let us forget that. That we would be so tied into Him, that we would see Him clearly, that we would remember that He has given us forgiveness for our sins, and He's cleansed us as white as snow. Keep increasing in the characteristics of Christ so you're effective and fruitful in your spiritual life and you're not nearsighted and you're not forgetful regarding the Lord's merciful forgiveness. So, I ask you this question. How is your sight and memory in regard to who Christ is in your life and who you are in Christ? Maybe you haven't even thought about that lately. It would be a good day to think about it even right now. Who, who am I in Christ? And what has Christ done for me so that I can give honor to Him and I can praise Him and thank Him and I can thank him for forgiveness of my sin. He goes on in this passage, he gives all those thoughts, he brings them all together, telling us about these are the positives, we can be effective, we can be fruitful from here, the negatives, we can, we can be people who are so nearsighted, we're blind and we've forgotten what God has done for us and forgiveness of sins. Then he goes, therefore. And I go, what is therefore, therefore, right? What's it there for? Well, there's a reason. Now, what do we do about this? All he's done for us. All that we're working on. What do we do? He says this in verse number 10. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. The word diligent is the same word that's found in verse 5 where he says make every effort. In the Greek it's the same word. Diligent. Make every effort. See, God has done his part in giving us spiritual life, but we need to do our part to live that life out. One of the authors said, Spiritual growth requires cooperation between the Heavenly Father and His earthly child. Growth is not going to take place if we don't cooperate with Him. Spiritual growth is a part of our lives. Peter's commanding this hard work, this diligence, this 110%, this practice 
in our spiritual life. So as we think about it, how are you stepping up and how are you stepping out? Our theme for the year. When God has been speaking to you as we get ready to enter the third month of the year, what has He been saying to you about stepping up to serve Him and be a part of what God wants to do? How's He, how's he encouraging you to, to step out and to help people come to know Jesus Christ? You ask Him, He'll give you an answer toward that. Then He says, make every effort, be diligent to confirm. You know what it means to confirm. It means to make evident, to make obvious, to make known. Where's be said again, your character and conduct will give evidence of your spiritual growth. I say, your character and conduct will confirm the depth of your allegiance to Christ. I love that word, allegiance. Right? We use it in our pledges, allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Bible. We use those in vacation Bible school. We use them in Awana clubs on Thursday night. But, but where is our allegiance? At what, what rate... What numbers are allegiance to Christ? This fact that I'm going to confirm my allegiance to Jesus. I'm going to make it obvious to everybody. Not for my glory, no. But because that's what I'm called to do. In honoring Him and lifting Him up. So it says, make every dil- make it be diligent to confirm your calling and election. So let's talk about calling and election for a minute. We could spend hours talking about calling and election. All right? You understand that. I remind you of this. The word elect and election is used by Jesus, it's used by Paul, and it's used by Peter. So we can't move away from it and say, well, you know, da 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 da, okay? No. And I'm not going to spend the 45 minutes giving a good, great definition today. Here's what I do want to say, though. When it comes to calling and election, all used, Jesus used them. I think that, for me, I can define it this way. Election just simply means those that God has called into His kingdom and have a relationship with Him. That's just, that's simple. I understand that. So I'm not going to take a long time. We could, like I said, we we spend hours in theology classes in seminary and Bible college discussing this. Hours. I've been there. But simply, those who are elect are those who have made Jesus Christ their Savior. He's welcomed into His kingdom. Okay? So, what are the elect to do? The same thing as He says in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Yay! <laughs> baptizing them. But, but we're to go. Why are we to go? Because other people are, are part of God's kingdom. And so we, who are part of God's kingdom, we are to go and help others come into His kingdom as His ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're ambassadors for Christ. So, how do I know if I'm elect? Just invite Christ into your life and you'll know that you're a part of the elect. And then go and do what the elect are to do. Go and help other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So they're a part of the elect family of God. How's that for a quick definition of that for you? I know there's a lot there. I understand that. But I just want you to understand that this is not some you know weird thing that somebody came up with. No. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. And it simply means those who have said yes to Jesus Christ. And then we go as the elect and we help others become part of God's family, part of His elect family of God. All right? 
I'm going to leave it right there. Done with that section. All right? What are we to do? We're to be diligent. We're to be diligent to confirm that we are Christians, that we're part of God's family. Our lives need to characterize that so that people know, hey, that person knows Jesus Christ and they're following Him. He says this. Now, if you'll be diligent, confirm the calling in your election, then He says, if you practice these qualities, these things, you will never fall or stumble. When we walk with our eyes closed, you understand this, or blind, we will stumble or fall. We understand that, right? But because the Lord has opened our eyes to the truths of spiritual life, we can walk with confidence because He is guiding us. Our eyes are open, we see clearly, we recognize, we remember that we've been forgiven of sin, that we have this great relationship with Him that comes by His grace through faith, right? And so we confirm, we walk that way, so that we're diligent in confirming our election and calling that we're part of His family. And in that, we will not stumble or fall. Now, he's going to get into that in chapter 2, the false teachers that are there. I think it ties together with that. He recognizes that there are some who are going to say that they're Christians, but they get deceived by the deceiver, by the evil one, and false teachers, and they, they go into apostasy. They go into saying, I don't want Jesus anymore. I don't want to follow him. I don't want to follow what his word has said. He says, if, if you live out who you are, you're not going to fall prey to that. You're not going to fall prey to the evil one and his deception. You're going to stick with him. My friend, stick with him. Stick with him. Confirm your calling and election. If you don't do that, maybe you never did invite Christ to be a part of your life. Oh, you say, yeah, I made it, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Well, maybe you really didn't. You just walked the aisle or, you know, a bunch of kids were around you and you go, oh, yeah, I need Jesus. But you really didn't invite Christ to be a part of your life. I hope that you have with Christ and that you will confirm it. You'll be diligent to confirm it, who you are in Christ, so that you won't stumble, you won't fall, you won't fall away. Then he says, going into verse 10, verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As these qualities in our lives are increasing, the seven virtues that are there, is there a quality, and they were effective, were fruitful, they'll be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. The word provided here in this verse is the same word add in verse 5. Just different context, they just use a different word. But it means lavish provision. He's saying to us, as we confirm our calling and we seek to follow Him and we love Him, that someday, that's now, someday in the future, they'll be richly provided for us an entrance into the kingdom of God. He's not talking about earning our salvation. He's not talking about something. You have salvation. It's a part of your life. But someday, the way you live could provide for you a rich entrance and a rich provision in the eternal kingdom. The same word was used by the Greeks, and they used to describe the welcome given to Olympic winners when they returned home, a victor's royal welcome. Can we put it maybe just in a little bit of context? Like in Kansas City, Missouri, on Tuesday, did they have some kind of big parade about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl? 
That's, that's the thing. A victor's royal welcome. That's what they had. Unfortunately, as you know, they got marred by shooting. It's so sad. I, I could go on for 35 minutes, Pastor Pete. What am I going to do now? But that's what they did. The winners got a victor's royal parade. And that's what he's saying to us. It's someday... That could be the case in heaven for us. Have you ever thought about have you ever thought about this? How you want to enter eternal life? I'm sure that was probably on your mind this week, I'm sure. How do you want to enter eternal life? You want to like, like just scoot through the door because there's about an inch and a half underneath the door? Or do you want the door to be thrown open to you with a great big welcome from Jesus and all the saints saying, Welcome, we're glad you're here. That's what he says. It could be richly provided for you by what happens here, not for salvation, but how you live out your salvation so that the door would be thrown wide open and there would be a rich welcome for you. Wow. I kind of like that. I think that's probably a pretty good, pretty good thing to look forward to. Good stewardship of Christ's gifts will bear eternal reward. It's in the New Testament. You can read the crowns that are there. There's, there's, no, there's no reason for us to, to go and say, well, I don't want that. No, when he says, this is what I want to give you. Go for it. Live life so well. Be effective. Be fruitful. So that when eternity comes, there's this rich provision for you when you get to heaven. I'm in on it. I'd like to have that. I'd like the Lord just to lo- open that door and say, welcome. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian and a believer. And I've lived as best I know how to be effective and to be fruitful in this kingdom life. I, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this. Maybe this maybe this will work. There's someone in your life who has lots of dough. Not cookie dough. Money. They got lots of it. And they say to you, tell you what, I'd like to give you three nights, be able to expand, family member, friends, whatever. And here's the choice that you have. You can go to the five-star Broadmoor. That ought to put a smile on people's face. You can either go to the five-star Broadmoor or you can go to the Motel 6 on I-25 and Garden of God. Which place do you think is going to give you the rich welcome and stay? The Broadmoor. I know most of us haven't been there, okay? But that's what they tell me, all right? I've seen the pictures, right? That's what you should want, your entry into heaven. The best. The best that He can give you. And you're not being selfish in that. You're just saying, Lord, I want to live so much like you to be effective and to be fruitful. I want to live so much like you that when you welcome me into heaven someday, man, they're throwing a big deal about it. And you'll be all right about that. You'll be all right about that. You want to grow so much that you bring honor to him. So what do I need to let go of make more space for Christ in my life so that I keep growing and so that right now I'm effective and I'm fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that I'm, 
I'm not nearsighted. I'm not blind. And I'm, I'm not forgetting what He's done for me. And I want to be diligent. I want to be diligent. I want to work out of all my heart to confirm that I'm a part of the family of God. And so that someday in the future, there's a richly provided provision to welcome.